<laughs> All right, so we're, we're continuing in Romans. Um, in two weeks, we'll jump into our Christmas series, which is going to focus on thankfulness, um, which should help us in our battle with sin and should help us be filled with the Spirit. But for now, we are in Romans. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to pursue this obedience that naturally flows from our hearts. That we are not this people who, who goes around burdened by the law, but that out of the joy and the praise that is in our hearts, we would obey freely and joyfully. That's what we're seeking. We're seeking to be kind of unshackled that the grace of God would compel us, that we would almost easily obey. And we've seen so far, we've seen that there's an abundance of grace, that we are free from sin. There's an abundance of, of mercy, that we're free from the law even. But today we're going to be looking at Romans 7. Romans 7, and this is probably one of the most controversial passages in all of Romans. And what, is, what this passage talks about, it talks about the war within. That the desires of man compete with his actual actions. That there's a, there's a desire to do good, but the good that you want to do, you can't do. And you hate sin, and you hate doing evil, but yet you keep doing it over and over and over. And now the debate is, is this describing the normal Christian life? Or is this describing the pre-Christian life? Is this describing kind of the slavery to sin? Or is this just the reality of what the Christian life looks like? And the fact that there's controversy and quarreling over this is, is astounding because this is two very radical, differently, almost, uh, I don't know, tearing each other apart, views of what the Christian life is supposed to be. What is the Christian life supposed to actually experientially be? How is it supposed to feel? What is it supposed to entail? And today, I'm, I've been wrestling with this. I, I've been wrestling with this all week. Um, and before that, and I've been reading sources and, and wrestling with which side to, I, I fall upon and, and what like, Paul is really trying to communicate to us. And I've been on both sides. I've seen it as this is just the war that we are given in Christ. I've also seen it as, as this is just slavery to sin. And this morning, I'm going to lay all my cards on the table. I think this is, this is still slavery to sin described. That in this passage, Paul is describing someone who is still living in the flesh. And trying to muster up obedience that is not within them. And that they don't have the power to perform. Now I know that some of you don't believe that. And so you're going to have to walk with me through this. And we're going to see, see what, what Paul is trying to say. But we're going to see three things here. We're going to see that the problem with the law is not with the law. The problem with the law is our sinful flesh. That we bring our sinful flesh to the table and that's why the law does not work. Secondly, we're going to see that we are powerless in our battle with the sinful flesh. And finally, we're going to see our, our infinite need for deliverance for a savior. So we're going to see that, like, what is this flesh that is destroying the law? How are we powerless? Why do we need a deliverer? So let, let's turn to Romans 
verses 13 through 25, uh, chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 13 to 25. And read with me. Did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what, was, what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war within the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I serve myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. All right. We start by remembering the context. And the context here is that the law has no power to change us. Jack, Jack Hickey had a, a good summary, a summary of, of last week. He said, the law can give us information. It does not give us transformation. The life under the law is a, law, is a life of defeat and a life of, of sin, actually. That law captures our hearts and twists us so that we sin and sin and sin. The law actually produces more sin in us. And so Paul then asked this question, verse 13. Did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me? Did this law, which seems so good and is good, is it also deadly? Is the law a murderer? Is it killing me? And he answers in his, his classical Paul way, which he's done several times, by no means. No, the law is not killing us. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might, be, uh, might become sinful beyond measure. All right, so the problem isn't with the law itself. And kind of reminding us of last week, Paul's saying that, no, actually, the law is good, but the law is weak. And the law is susceptible to sin. And so when we throw the law into, into sinful hearts, that sin just tweaks the law and uses it against us. That sin becomes alive and we die. That's the reality of what the law can do. And so Paul's saying there's nothing inherently wrong with the law, but the law is weak. All right, so thinking rock, rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Rock always beats scissors. 
the law always, or sin always beats the law. Every single time. Sin wins over the law. That's the reality. That's what he's trying to reinforce there. And then he asks the question, okay, why? Why does sin always defeat the law? And he says, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. There's a dichotomy between what the law is and what we are. So the law is spiritual. It's holy. It's good. But it comes to us, and we are sinners. We are the, in the flesh. Now, when I say in the flesh, and when Paul says in the flesh, we're not talking about our body. We're not like, oh, these, these bodies are weighing us down. No, it's saying that, that we, under, under sin, under Adam, that we are earthly. We are unspiritual. We are not holy. We are natural and we are corrupted. And he's saying that in that corrupted state, in our flesh, in and of ourselves, we are sold under sin. Now what that means is that you and I, in and of ourselves, we kind of went to the, the slave auction and sin bought us and sin owns us and sin commands our every action. That we are sold to sin. And if that's the reality, then, then we cannot actually do the things that we want to do. That sin gets to command everything. And look at verse 15. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Alright, so Paul describes this. It's, kind of, it's, it's a rhetorical device that he's using here, the I. The I is, is you. You by yourself. You in your own strength. The I. The ego. That's, that's I in, in Greek. It's the, the I. And what he's saying is that I in and of myself, I can't do the things that I want to do. And I don't even understand, like, why, why can't I do the things that I want? That I want to do good, and yet I can't. And I hate doing evil, but I do it, and I do it, and I do it. And he's saying the reason is because you're sold under sin. You're enslaved to it. You, you can't do it because sin has taken you over. Now, the contention to that is, well, how would someone who isn't full of the Spirit, why would they want to do good? Why would they want to do the law? Why would they hate sin? That doesn't make sense to us. I, I want to challenge that a little bit. That throughout Romans and even throughout our, our own culture, we see the reality that people want to do good, that the laws are pretty universal. That if you talk to your neighbors, they don't want to lie. They don't want to steal. They don't want to be, quote, bad people. And yet they do those things. We hide it from ourselves, but the reality is that there are things that we want to do and we can't do. And that's the reality of, of life under sin. And if you're under the law, it's not, you're not judged based upon your, your good intentions. If you're sinning, you're sinning. Now, we, we, in the Christian walk, we talk about how it's, it, your heart is really important. 
It's all about the heart. Now that's true. But we say that when we're trying to say something like, okay, you can give to the poor, but if you're judging the poor and you don't actually love the poor, then, you, then a good action is corrupted by your evil heart. And something that would be good is evil. All right, Paul's not talking about that. Paul's talking about doing evil things, things that are clearly sin. And he's saying, yeah, you, you didn't want to do that, but you did. At that point, your heart doesn't, doesn't defend you. It's, he says, sin is sin, and you're judged by what you do. You don't get to say, oh, but I, I had good intentions. Like, no, you're sinning. That's the reality that Paul is pointing out here. That people, as much as they want to do good, they can't. And they don't. When they're left in the flesh and they're left in themselves. And so Paul has this final conclusion. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So we recognize that, that the law is good. The things that God commands are good. But that's not the problem. The problem is we can't actually do them. And he's, let's go on. Let's go on. Then he comes to this, this kind of devastating conclusion. If I can't do the things that I want, then it must be that as much as I love the law, as much as I try to do it, I am completely enslaved to sin. And there's a battle going on within me, and I'm actually losing that battle. I'm losing the battle with sin when I'm left to my flesh. Verse 17. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. All right, so this is a pretty extreme statement. That Paul is saying so much that the I, the thing that you want to do, you don't even get a say in your actions. That sin actually bypasses you altogether and your desires and sin does exactly what it wants to do. So it's not even you who does it. You don't get to act at all. But sin acts. And then Paul goes on and he says, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. that the sin of our flesh, it expresses itself and nothing else good comes out of it. For I have desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So as much as, as you resolve to do what is right, if you are in the flesh, if you are left to, to your own devices, you have no ability to do the good that you want to do. Do we see the weight of that? No ability. It's not saying you're, 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 you're weaker than you'd like to be. You have no ability to do it. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. They're doing evil over and over and over. They hate their sin and they can't get away from it. And Paul concludes, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So it's not I who is acting, it is sin. All right, so what do we do, what do, we do with that? Is that an encouraging thing? That we would say, okay, like, it's, it's not really me. Thankfully, it's, it's sin doing it, but I'm, it's not me who's doing it, I'm okay. 
Now, that's how I, I used to think about it. But I don't think that Paul is, is presenting this as a, a hopeful thing. He's presenting it like, imagine you are, you are possessed by, we're not going to tell you a demon because that's kind of messy, an alien. All right, so an alien is taking you over, is taking over your will. Now, you can see what you're doing. You know what's happening, but you have no power. You're totally controlled by this alien. And what does it start doing? It starts lying. It starts stealing. He starts making you be cruel to your spouse and yell at your kids and be slothful and miserable and bitter. Now, is there some comfort in saying, oh, well, yeah, but it's the alien who's doing it. It's not really me. Like, no, that's not encouraging. That's horrible. And that's actually, that's incredibly scary. That you're seeing and you have no control. That person doesn't take comfort in the fact that it's not them. They're, they're crying out. Release me. I, 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 want, I don't want to do this. Save me. Someone get me out of here. That's what Paul is describing here. That you, you cannot do what you want to do. You're totally enslaved to sin. Verse 21. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This is a universal law that you have no control. That if you are left to yourself, you are totally destroyed by sin. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. You're saying, oh yeah, that's great. That's great. But I see in my members another law waging war within the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So yes, you are or. In the flesh, left to yourself, you are at war. But it's a losing war. It's a losing war. You don't even... All right, so I'll describe it this way. All right, so... Imagine you're playing pool. All right, you're playing pool, and you really want to win. And you're even convinced, like, you're, you're pretty good at pool. And you've, you've read the, the pool manual. You've, you've brushed up on your physics. Like, you, you know what you're doing. And you're going to be, you're, just, just let, me, let me play. And you're playing sin. You're playing sin, and you're at war with sin. All right, but sin goes first. Sin goes first. Sin breaks. And, oh, sin, sin got, got stripes. All right, all right. And sin keeps going. And you're, you're sitting there watching as sin hits one end after the other. Far right, far left. And, and you realize you're not actually even playing this game. That you never need to pick up your cue. Because you never get to hit. You never get a chance and every single time, all you do is sit there and lose. And watch yourself lose and lose and lose. Time and time again. That is what Paul is describing here. As good as your intentions are, as much as you want to win, and think you could if you tried, you can't. All right, that's, that's what I'm, I'm convinced that this passage is saying.
So the question is, is this the Christian life? Is this what, what, what God had in mind for, for what the Christian struggle was supposed to look like? I have to say no. No. And we can, we can prove it with Paul. All right, let's look at other places where Paul, Paul describes the Christian life. Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right, does this sound like freedom from sin? That you don't even get to act? No. Sin will have no dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace. Is this sin having no dominion over you? No, this is sin in complete control. Paul said, you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. Is this obedience from the heart? No, there is no obedience here. Not one ounce of obedience. I have to say, this is not the Christian life. Now, I recognize that sometimes the Christian life can feel like this. Absolutely. I have felt like this. I know you all have felt like this at times. But this is not the ideal of the Christian life. This is not saying, oh no, this is the normal struggle. No, this is slavery to sin played out in technicolor. And I think it's, it's, it's tragic that Christians read this and they think, yeah, that's me. Or yeah, yeah, that's the Christian life. I think Paul would be devastated by that. That Christ would be devastated by that. Like, do you really think that this is, this is what the plan was? That this is, this is the abundance of freedom that I've given you? No. And it's scary that I can feel like this is me or, or that we can feel like this is us. And so we need to, we need to think about it. What do we do? What do we do if we think that this describes our life? First of all, first of all, I would ask you to, to look closer. If, if you've just never understood this passage or read it for what it is, then maybe you're seeing what this describes here and you're saying, no, that's not me. Like, I don't have no power to do good. Like, I recognize I can do good. Like, I have done good. I, I see it. And maybe we need to let go of this passage and say, no, no, this is not, this is not my life. All right, there's another option. It might be that you're believing a lie. That you're actually being tempted to believe that this is your life. And that, that the, the master of lies is presenting this to you and saying, you know, you've, you have no control. You have never done good. There's no sanctification that's happened in your life. You are just a slave to sin. And there's a place where you say, no, that's actually a lie. I think people who are susceptible to this lie are those who, are, who have some kind of addiction or some continuous sin that they keep on fighting. And they start to get convinced, well, maybe, maybe I'm just a slave to sin. Maybe this is my life. When you're being deceived, that this one sin struggle is being held up before you and you're being forced to look at that and not seeing the, the things that the Spirit is doing around you. That there is growth going on. If that's you, like, 
Look for the things that the Spirit is doing. Look for the life that is there. I had a friend once, and he was struggling with sexual sin, and he's like, no, I, I just feel like I've, I've never, I just keep falling and falling and falling, and like, but what, what did the struggle look like three years ago? Like, oh, it looked very different. It was, it was a lot worse. Like, okay, this is good. This is good. Do you think about it differently? Are you struggling differently? There's growth happening. Don't believe the lie. Then don't believe that that God would want to abandon you in, in a life that sounds like Romans 7. All right. Another, another reason you might feel like this is your life is because you're doing it in your own strength. That you're, you're trying to fight sin in the, with the flesh, with the law. And if that's you, you need to be dependent upon our Lord and Savior. You can't do it yourself. And obedience is never supposed to be mustered up. It's a gift of grace. Just like salvation is graced upon us, obedience is graced upon us. And so, when was the last time you, you asked God for help? For him to change his heart, your heart? For him to, to give you the obedience that you do not have? Maybe you're just being independent and this is the fruit of that independence. That your life is looking very much like a non-believer's even. Or someone not walking by the Spirit. And that's the last one. Maybe you're just not in fellowship and walking by the Spirit. And I think to some extent, that is all of us. And we have to ask, like, how is my fellowship with Jesus? Am I loving Jesus? Am I walking closely with him? Am I sharing with him my life? Or am I kind of just, like, I haven't given Jesus a, whole, a, a second thought in six days and here I am. If that's you, then what do you expect? What do I expect? I should expect my life to look like this. Slavery to sin because left to myself, left to my flesh, there's no good there and there's no power there. That it's the Spirit who does this work and if we're walking on our own, then yes, this is going to characterize our life. We cannot justify not walking by the Spirit by saying, oh, well, this is just a normal Christian life. It's not. It's not. And so I, I charge you, don't settle for this to be your life. Don't expect this to be your life in Christ. And also, don't keep battling the same way if this is your life. To just say, oh, I just, I just need to try harder. I need to do something different. I need to, I need to, I, 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 I. You left to, to you and yourself, to the I, you're going to fail over and over and over. And this is going to become your life. And thankfully, Paul goes on. He goes on and he says that though you cannot win this war, you cannot win this battle, that God has sent a deliverer. Someone to fight for you, someone to win for you, someone to have victory for you. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
That is someone who has stopped trusting in themselves, who has stopped trying to muster up obedience and live in the flesh. This is someone who recognizes, no, I need to be, I need something else in here besides just me and the law. That left to my own, I can't do it. I need someone else to do it for me. That you cried out. Have you cried out like that? Have you abandoned any hope that you would muster up any obedience of yourselves? Have you cried out that not just that Jesus Christ would save you, but that he would deliver you from sin? And Paul, Paul does that. And he, he mimics, he uh, sets that pattern in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He finds the victory in Jesus. And he finds that victory first in that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. We have resurrected with him. He has given us a new heart. He has given us power over sin. That we are no longer stuck in it. But even more, he gives us the spirit. That we are not left alone. That the Holy Spirit, his, his promise and his job is to dwell with us and to sanctify us. To grace us with obedience. To give us what we cannot muster ourselves. And I think that's where, I hate, I hate saying this because I love the Reformed faith. I do. I love the Reformed faith. But this is one of the weaknesses of the Reformed faith. That we think of the, the solas, the, the alones, for the glory of God alone, by scripture alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, by, by faith alone. And we've seen those things in Romans. Those things have, have cried out to us. Yeah, it's by grace. It is by faith. It is by Christ. But we're missing one. It is by the Holy Spirit alone. That the Holy Spirit alone is going to give us the obedience, the victory over the flesh. And what he does is he, he takes our flesh and he makes us spiritual. So the law was spiritual and we were flesh and then when they came together, they didn't work. But what he does, he... he he makes us spiritual in that he comes and he dwells in us. He changes us. And he gives us the power that we do not have. And when the spiritual law comes to spiritual people, we do it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Christ has come to do in your day-to-day -day sanctification process. He didn't come and die for you. We raised from the dead and then watch us drudge around in the mud so that we would fail and fail and fail. He gave us his spirit and he said, it's better. It's better that you would have my spirit and I would be away than that Jesus would be sitting in the room with us. The Holy Spirit must be powerful and able to do amazing things in our lives. Now that's what chapter 8 is about. Is looking at how we might walk in the Spirit. And for now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave us with just, just one thing to do. I want you to pray to the Spirit. Just ask Him. Ask Him, 
I ask that you would give me obedience. If you struggle with sin, I ask that you, like, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would you'd give me obedience in this area. Change my heart. Just recognizing that he even exists is something that is big in, in the Presbyterian faith. So let's do that. And let's trust that God is going to work in us through Christ because Christ has promised his spirit and he has promised to be with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us what we need. That you give us the Spirit. That when we are left to ourselves, we are in this, this slavery to sin that we can't even express the things that we want to express because sin has just captured us. And Father, we thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for the Spirit who is promised through Christ that, the Holy, that because Christ rose from the dead, he can give us his spirit, the spirit of victory and the spirit of righteousness. And Father, we thank you that the spirit defeats sin and destroys sin, that there is nothing left. Father, I ask that you would empower us by the spirit to live lives that are different, that we would love you and we'd worship you and we'd have hearts that want to be obedient. Father, thank you for these promises and thank you for the work you're doing in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.